All right, Derek Thomas, finally here on the show. I'm really excited to have you. Uh, you're someone who I've known for now over a decade, probably close to 15 years. Yeah. Um, and we've had the pleasure of being in a book club together. We've been fraternity brothers. Uh, I've been able to see you excel in multiple areas, including um, you know, the service industry, hospitality. Uh, now you're in the field of cannabis packaging correct as well as before that you were in the cannabis and and the cannabis industry as uh vp of business development of a company called veritas farms and so you've had quite the interesting journey in your career will you tell us a little bit more about that yeah well thanks for that and uh, it's great to finally be here um yeah, so as you said, you know, I kind of cut my teeth in hospitality. I actually started when we were in college uh, at Bajas, if you remember. I was there. Yeah, I started as a barback and then a bartender. And then uh, by the time we graduated, I was kind of the general manager, but, uh, you know, definitely helped help running the place. You were the guy that were giving, you were giving away all the, the free drinks. Yeah, that was, that was kind of bartender status. When I became a manager, I had that's a little bit That's why we became more. friends. Right. I'm pretty that, sure. That's why. Yeah. yeah. Boz Beach Club. I was actually carting. I knew it. All the people in the front of the front door. I was. Yeah, uh, that's right. You did. You had a stand part of the, the security door. team. Yeah. All 165 pounds of me. But you were there for like, what, a few months. It wasn't, you didn't uh, have like a career. Yeah. There. I mean, it wasn't, it was probably six months or so. Yeah. And it was only because I was president. That's what it was. I think you moved on somewhere too. You moved on to a different restaurant. Or oh, I was serving. I was serving tables for a while at uh, Harry's Seafood. Yeah, that's what it was. Downtown uh, Tallahassee. Yeah, it's where all the, uh, well, not all of them, but a lot of the deals between the uh, lawmakers got done yeah, was in Harry's. Yeah. And uh, Clyde's and Costello's was over there. And yes, remember that the area. fancy area of Tallahassee. So uh, I'm excited to have you on the show for the reason that you had recently switched uh, jobs and you went through the process of trying to figure out specifically whether you were going to jump ship of your current company and mm -hmm. you know what kind of process what kind of factors went into your decision because I'm sure there are a lot of listeners that are deciding right now whether or not they should move jobs or or what job uh, industry they should go into if it were to be a different one how did you calculate that to move on well I think that you need to have a really good understanding of uh, what you need and what you want, you know? So like what you need would be like, what, you know, what do you need to survive? What are your bills? What, how much do you need to be bringing in? Do you, uh, are you able to ask for equity? Do you get health insurance? You know, all these different types of factors. And then of course there's, what do you, uh, what do you want? You know, what, what, how do you want your impact to show up locally? And what do you want your story to be? And, uh, you have to do what's best for the both of those combined and kind of walk that line, right? Uh, and then I think, you know, as you get older, uh, you can carve out a direction for yourself that's more in line with what you want and not necessarily just has to be about what you need. It sounds like what you need is almost like a short-term view. Yeah, exactly. And what you want is potentially the long-term view. It's something you can work towards and build, mm -hmm. you know? So um, right now you're the CGO, the chief growth officer of a company called AE Global. Mm-hmm. Can you tell the listeners like what, what that is and what you do specifically? Yeah, sure. Um, and, you know, to do that, I'll, I'll take a big step back too, to kind of, you know, we talked about cutting our teeth in hospitality and that, that was my first, well, the first decade of my career. Um, was with SBE. Uh, yeah, Entertainment. At S SBE Entertainment. And I was with Life and Color for a while doing the, uh, the, 
the concerts, the pain parties. And, mm-hmm, the pain parties. Yep. Um, but ultimately, I kind of got to this place where I was I was able to start working towards what I wanted, and not just what I needed. Uh, and you know what I wanted was to make an impact, uh, an environmental impact, a um, even a, a freedom type of impact uh, for me and and for well what I perceive to be like society. You just know? like a work life balance type of thing. Uh, yeah, kind of. You know, I I think that when you know when you really start learning who you are and what's important to you you can start incorporating that into work and not just into, you know, the off hours of your life. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to kind of be able to be a part of something that I believed in. And, uh, you know, cannabis became that story for me. Um, And, you know, around the time that I was wanting to get out of hospitality, I actually got arrested uh, for, it was literally, you know, a a small joint uh, on Miami Beach. And it was this whole... Should have hired us. Well, I don't think we you had your at that time. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a decade ago, right? It was like a decade ago. I was yeah. 27. Yeah. I was in law school at the time, so I couldn't help you at that moment, but now we could have. Right. Well, if it happens again. But it did happen. And uh, you know, I had to face the consequences and it was, you know, it was humbling and I learned a lot, but I really started learning about cannabis. Uh and it, I kind of fucked up that delivery. <laughs> You know, so after this uh, this kind of in challenging and humbling legal experience, um, I really started to reflect on my personal relationship with cannabis, which was mostly just about marijuana. And I started learning everything else there was to know about the plant and its history. Uh, because we, as a human civilization, has been utilizing it for, you know, 3,000 years uh, across almost every culture and society. Uh, and for numerous different applications not just for recreational uh you know highs on the weekend um which by the way i think a lot of people listening would say oh you were a pothead and now you're just trying to figure out what to do with your life i mean there's probably some truth to that but with the truth to that after learning about it a lot you decided that look i mean my love is in the application of what you can use to help society right and there's such a negative connotation with pot right if i call it pot that's even negative right so we should call it what well you know it really depends on how you're using it because if you're back in the living room on a friday evening and there's a joint being passed around call it pot you know that is what it is but it's so many other things too and you know we're not really focusing just on pot anymore so there's bioplastics and there's textiles and there's rope and rigging and there's, you know, the food that comes out of it uh, with not cannabis related, not the gummies that, that get you a little wacky, but the seed, you know, the, the seed can not only be used to feed humans and, and has been for uh, thousands of years, but you can also feed animals with it. And it's way more sustainable than, than feeding them with like corn or grain or anything like that. Uh, so there's literally endless applications on the commercial side, but not only that, it's also incredibly environmental friendly to grow. It's very sustainable to grow. Uh, they call it, you know, a weed because it, it literally grows like a weed. You can use it almost any latitude uh, or longitude in the world. Um, and you don't need a lot of like pesticides or fungicides or herbicides to grow it uh, or, or even fertilizer. 
uses little water and it actually cleans and heals the soil as you grow it. So it's a great rotational crop. And again, you can use it for 20,000 commercial applications is kind of what, what the belief is. Uh, so, you know, there, there is this kind of need as a society to overcome the stigma that we've had from prohibition for the past hundred of years. Because before that, there was no stigma in any civilization that we've had. Uh, every civilization has used it in, in one way or another for their benefit to the most part. Uh, so, you know, the goal is really, let's get over that stigma. Let's use the plant in all the different ways it can benefit us. And, uh, you know, let's kind of move on from that. Now, I, it, so it sounds like we're going into the section in regards to what you, you know, your subject in your TED talk. Yep. That's, um, I just kind of spouted off a summary of it. <laughs> exactly. And now, um, so everybody's aware, to, uh, Derek was a speaker at TED Talk X, um, or TEDx, right? In Boca Raton. In Boca, yeah. Um, it was called Rethinking Humanity's Relationship with Cannabis. You can find it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has over 109,000 views at mm-hmm. this moment. I checked before, before the podcast. Nice. Um, so... He, it's only 13 minutes, and you, you really break down the uh, different uses, the stigma, how you believe that we can change the stigma and start using uh, really cannabis, or, or what you really focus on is hemp, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Um, and how we can actually use it for society's benefit and get rid of the negative stigma mm-hmm. um, of the cannabis plant. And that goes back to the different words you were talking about. You know, do we call it pot? Do we call it cannabis? Do we call it hemp? And it goes back to what you're using it for. And, you know, there's no reason why we go to a Whole Foods or even Target or something and you see a hemp protein or you see a hemp T-shirt or you see hemp seeds and you think stoner. Uh, You know, that is detrimental to yourself as the consumer. It's detrimental to... Uh, the the greater kind of uh, natural movement uh, and it, it's detrimental to the earth as a whole. So let's go back real quick. CGO, Chief Growth Officer. Now was that was there any really pun? Fun title. Was there it's any my, pun intended so, there? I, I mean, it's are awesome. you the one growing the crop? Like, what's going on with CGO? Well, no. So it, at at AE Global, uh, you know, we don't we don't actually touch the plant at all. We don't touch any products. We just manufacture packaging. Uh, so we have. Uh, you know, we do a, a lot of the uh, commodities brokering type of stuff, you know, uh, making sure that, you know, we're buying good stuff from China or India or overseas. But uh, we really have a focus on domestic solutions. That's really packaging, the packaging solutions. Right. Correct. Yes. And there's yes. a lot of there's probably a lot of legal like red tape in regards to that um, specifically when, you know, from what I hear, uh, federally pot is starting to move toward legalization. Right. And more states are legalizing mm-hmm. it. Uh, and as that continues to roll and potentially gets passed federally uh, as legal, you're going to have uh, hopefully less restriction, but but potentially more on the actual packaging to safeguard certain things. For Correct. Pot, right? right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the you know, that's already in play to some extent. And it's, you know, anything is child resistant uh, and different states have different types of child resistant, you know, packaging requirements. Some. Uh, some states require all of it to be in a child-resistant bag when you leave the store. Some states just require certain types of products to be in child-resistant packaging. Uh, so, for example, in one state, um, you know, a cartridge might need to be in child-resistant packaging, and in another state, it might not. You know, so there's a lot of variations that are kind of at play. And then you have these companies that are operating in 13 or 14 different of those kind of ecosystems, all isolated, where there's 
you know, separate financial entities, separate legal entities. It's a, it's a kind of the wild, wild west. And what we do uh, is, you know, we work really hard to solve as many pain points on the packaging and procurement side for our customers as we can. Uh, we have, you know, we really focus on domestic oriented solutions uh, because one of the biggest challenges is quality and lead times. And, you know, if you're getting something from overseas, not only is there the quality concern, but there's also, you know, it, the shipping container might fall off the boat uh, or it might be Chinese New Year or, for, you know, for whatever reason, sometimes a two week lead time can turn into a six week lead time. Um, so that's, you know, that's something where uh, we've done a really good job of building this business to focus on domestic solutions. Uh, and we also own our own proprietary product called EasyLock. It's 100% made in the USA, sustainable materials, ASTM certified, which is the, the child resistance certification that you need, and it's patented. Uh, so what, what is EasyLock? It's a, it? yeah, so it, the best way I could describe it is a, is a corrugated like folding carton. Uh, so it, it's made of fiberboard or paperboard, uh, and it has a simple plastic button lock. Uh, you can use it with one hand, so it's very senior friendly because this is another concern, right? You don't want to, uh, by preventing children from utilizing it, you don't want to prevent seniors or disabled people from being you able to access the product. You want to make it too hard too. to access, exactly. but still yeah. hard enough for a kid. Correct. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so... You know, we designed this this product internally with our product engineers, and we uh, now have it in the market. And actually, you know, one of the largest cannabis companies in the country, uh, Curaleaf, uses EasyLock for any of their child-resistant packaging needs uh, when it comes to cartridges and, and things like that. So it's got a lot of market share. It's a, it's an amazing kind of innovative product. It's a domestically manufactured solution. Uh, so you know, we're kind of continuing the work that I was doing at Veritas and before that in terms of making cannabis more accessible, more easily understood, you know, more compliant. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, ultimately for our customers, we're, we're adding a value, you know, across their supply chain. Now, it sounded like there was a little bit also, not only of just packaging, but also you mentioned, I think, logistics mm -hmm. yeah. uh, behind, you know, the shipping and, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of stuff. So AE Global also focuses on that. Yeah. So anything you can imagine in terms of packaging, design, uh, manufacturing and logistic related, uh, even warehousing and, and inventory support. Uh, we literally do it all in rapid prototyping. So if Justin needs a you know, new cardboard box for his uh, law firm for whatever, we can have a sample to you within 24 hours actually printed, you know, at your office. Oh, that's yeah, interesting. So we move really fast too. Where did this love for, for, for Canada, I know you said you got uh, arrested and then that led you into kind of looking into cannabis and why there was such a negative connotation to it and, um, you know, why society treated it like this. But even before that, you know, as a kid, did you, did you do anything... Um, that would prompt your interest, um, I guess, in besides, I guess, smoking, um, but in, in potentially the environment or, or you know, because I know you as someone that likes to go camping and be outdoors mm -hmm. and yeah. um, you're very environmentally focused and mm -hmm. uh, you're very environmentally conscious. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? Well, I, I think you also knew I was a Boy Scout mm -hmm. uh, and an Eagle Scout. Yeah, I actually What's made the difference? it. Well, I mean, you know, Eagle Scout is kind of like the highest rank of Boy Scouts. So it's, you know, I think it's 1% of... So you could survive with a bobby clip and like a cotton ball? Fresh the, out of Boy Scout class, maybe. Okay. But yeah, now, not probably not so much. You can make a fire out of a paper clip? I could call for help. That's, ah, that's okay. what I could do. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know, I was, a, I was a Boy Scout and ultimately Eagle Scout. And uh, I've always, partially from my parents and also partially just uh, 
you know, growing up in, in Florida when it was still a little bit more wild. Um, I've always loved, you know, nature. And that's, that's really my broader why. Uh, cannabis is a great way for me to do it professionally, you know, so that I can kind of work towards what I want uh, in my career. But my, my broader why is, is definitely the environment and nature and trying to think seven, eight, nine, ten generations ahead and, you know, how, how's the human race going to support 15 billion people on the planet Earth? You know, how, how can we all do that? We all have to be a little more conscious in the way we think. Um, so I've always spent a lot of time in the woods. Uh, even, you know, to this day, we go camping often. I've got a couple acres um, out, you know, kind of in central Florida and we grow citrus trees and, we, you know, we... Uh, you know, spent a lot of time uh, just reconnecting to ultimately what I think is our ancestry. You know, the, our ancestors did this for hundreds of thousands of years. You know, they, they ran barefoot through the soil and they, they were intimately familiar with the crops that they grew and the animals that they killed to eat. And, you know, versus our, um, our instantaneous, you know, society where everything's there you know, next day, same day. Amazon. Can, Am yeah, Amazon. If you want camping food. experience, they'll bring you a tent. They'll bring you the fire logs. They'll, you can put it in your front yard. And it's that's it. Interesting business you just order idea. order it. Um, yeah. but, but I think it's important for people, however you do it, to kind of get back to um, some of the things that made us who we were, uh, you know, pre-industrial civilization. You know, whether you work out hard and you exercise your body like we used to have to or whether you get out in the woods and, and get familiar with nature like we used to have to do. I think all those things are kind of important to, uh, you know, to give you the context that you need to, to be out in society and do good. Do you think that society these days, it's, it's more difficult to do that, to realize that, you know, before all of the technological advances, before Amazon delivered stuff straight to your door. You can step back and, and, you know, maybe not go camping, but do something more secluded from normal society and, and kind of get back to your roots. Like, so, so you say, yeah, you know, I think that on its face, it may seem like it was easier and it probably was easier back in the day the woods were a lot closer. Cities weren't as big. Um, and the, the noise wasn't as loud. You know, right now the noise is really loud and it's everywhere. You know, we're being hit with noise all the time. It, uh, but I also think that it's really easy to rediscover nature or, you know, whatever connects you to, uh, to, you know, the things that are more important, right? I think it's also a lot easier to find those things too because of the amount of information we have access to. So I think once you learn, once you realize the noise is really loud and you can start kind of looking for quiet places, you can find them a lot easier. Or anything other than camping, Derek does to find those quiet places. Well, I actually meditate quite often, which is obviously the fastest way you can get to kind of a quiet place inside of yourself. You use but an yeah. app, or you do it? No, like so yourself? I um, I do uh, what's what I know is Zen meditation. Um, most people that I know refer to it as Zen meditation, uh, which is focusing on your breath uh, or focusing on something in your immediate environment. Uh, sometimes it can be a mantra, or you know, but I focus on my breath. Um, you know, I, I try and do 15 to 20 minutes a day. I actually recently got rid of the timer while I was meditating, which kind of changes the game for me a little you ever bit. Ever fall asleep? I've never fallen asleep meditating. Oh, good. Yeah. You do it in the morning or night? Uh, so I usually do it at night. That's a function of my schedule. I can find when I meditate in the morning, I, um, I'm, I'm way less, uh, prone to the distractions that come up during meditating. So my meditation can be a little more profound in the morning, but I just don't get to do it as often. 
Hmm. Great. So when did you start that? Uh, I, I would say that I have off and on dabbled in meditating for 10 years, uh, but it's really only been since coronavirus actually that I've started um, kind of having like a dedicated meditation practice. And what's the length roughly? Uh, 15, 20 minutes, you know, somewhere in there. Gotcha. Yeah. And how has that helped Derek like day to day? Um, it's, I, I always find it challenging to, to talk about the benefits of meditation because they're kind of wide and broad uh, and they can show up in a lot of different ways. But I, I think the thing that works for me the best is that uh, I'm a lot quieter inside, you know, like there's a lot more stillness inside so that when that noise from the outside does, you know, when I do need to engage with it, whether it's a situation at work or you know, whether I'm trying to be helpful, um, I'm, I'm just able to uh, be of service that much easier, you know, because I'm, I'm able to listen more, I'm more aware of myself, I'm more aware of my environment. That's awesome. So I'm gonna switch gears a little bit. Um, how did you decide or think about doing a TED Talk and why? I had been doing a lot of uh, different types of media for Veritas Farms, uh, which was my, you know, my previous job. Um, and, you know, as VP of business development, uh, I was kind of the face. So, I, you know, I did all different types of media. I was on like Cheddar and I was in uh, the Miami Herald. And uh, I really enjoyed that part of my job. Um, I, you know, I enjoyed the opportunity to drive awareness to like the work that we were doing because it, it wasn't just about pot it was about the plant overall and everything that it could do uh, so the opportunity to get out there and represent the plant in other ways you know i started with the jeans company which you know that was my first kind of foyer hemp blue hemp blue yeah uh, that was my first you know attempt at telling the story of cannabis, not just marijuana, but the story of cannabis and, and everything that it could do. Derek was the co-founder of Hemp Blue. It was out of what California, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And you created genes out of hemp. Mm -hmm. Correct. So another yeah. use of the plant. Yeah, we had a world-class denim designer who designed for like Harley Davidson and Seven for All Mankind. And we manufactured everything in Los Angeles. It was such a fun story. It was really, really a lot of fun to do. Um, so, you know, starting then I was doing media for Hemp Blue and then media for uh, Veritas Farms. And, you know, the, the goal was always the same, which was to inform the, the most number amount of people about all the different things that cannabis could do, not just get you high, you know, everything else that it could do. Uh, and so it was actually our media company uh, who suggested that I apply for a TED Talk. And they were like, you know, you could really you know, kind of tell this story that you want to tell in a TED Talk really well. Uh, and sure enough, we applied and uh, I got accepted. And, uh, you know, that's that's really the biggest reason why I did it was to kind of amplify my own voice uh, and the own my own work that I had been doing. This was like the culmination of, of all that different outreach that I had been doing. So there, it was just a absolute kind of no brainer, kind of the next step for me. Uh, in, in terms of getting, you know, finding different ways to express the story. That's awesome. How many people did you speak in front of? Uh, it was 2,000. Yeah. And did you have to take, I mean, are you afraid of public speaking? Did you take any courses or how did you 
prepare for that? I public speak often. I have been for a while and I'm still very scared to do it. Uh, and I, I had two different coaches actually. Ted gives you a coach uh, and I kind of hired my own uh, coach as well. And I, you know, I spent a lot of time rehearsing and uh, did a lot of dry runs and uh, you know, all that stuff. Did so, you knock it out of the park or did you fuck up? Something? I think that I knocked it out of the park. Um, I ended up giving about a 22 minute speech and it's now a 13 minute speech. Oh, on, they cut it down. So maybe they don't feel the same way, but I feel like I knocked it out. Of wow. The park. Where can yeah. we find the whole original? Uh, it's on. Oh, I don't know. That's you'd have to ask Ted, I guess. Oh, fucking yeah. Ted. This yeah, guy. Ted. Who is Ted? I don't know. I've yeah. never met Ted. Um, I know he's that bear in the movie, but I don't think it's off. That. It's, uh, we didn't do the Thunder Buddies. Thing. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right, so before you were VP Business Development of Veritas Farms, it's interesting because Veritas Farms actually dealt with the development of the plant, the actual uh, uh, production uh, all the way from its own self-sustained farms, right? Out in Colorado that you would go visit Mm -hmm. all the way to, um, I think, I want to say packaging and sales of it. On the shelf at CVS, Publix, Rite Aid, Bed Bath & Beyond. What a yeah. freaking experience yeah. um, to be awesome. top level there. And then I guess the, the question is your shift to not actually being part of the the product, so to speak. Yeah. Um, because now you're in the packaging section. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking about earlier, I was excited to have you on because you took a lot of time in deciding that you wanted to leave Veritas. And I'm sure there was a reason for it because you loved your role in Mm -hmm. the media gig and that. Um, The factors that went into your move. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, You know, ultimately, uh, I wanted to expand uh, my why, you know, and my efforts in the industry and, you know, the the kind of my own personal journey. Uh, It was time for you know the next step what 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 i was going to do next in the industry to expand my own skill set and my own experience as well as continue the efforts you know uh, and i kind of set out to to wanting to create the opportunity to do that i had no idea what it was going to look like um and you know ultimately uh, ae global actually kind of found me and made me an offer uh that you know, I, I couldn't refuse because I felt like the work that we were going to do is going to be very impactful. Uh, so I'm really with, with your mission, which yeah, was our, yeah. to educate people on uh, the positives of the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though you went away from the actual product itself, you still have your your megaphone to 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 tell the, the masses about it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, and now, uh, you know, now I'll be working with instead of through one brand, uh, AE Global touches hundreds of brands and we touch, we're, we're working right with the marketers and, and product developers. So I get to work with people who are, you know, I get to work with all the megaphones basically that there are in this industry, not just my own. Was Veritas a previous client or is a client? Uh, no, AE no, actually completely separate, independent. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no. Although I, I'll probably give Veritas a call soon <laughs> and pitch them on. Remember our me? But hey guys. <laughs> nice. That's great. Um, can you, uh, can you kind of shed some light on how the pandemic may have impacted the cannabis industry? Yeah. Oh boy. Is that too much of a can of worms or can you give us it's a, it's more of a loaded question. So I think there's really interesting areas that you can kind of zoom in better on that. Um, and the first that I can highlight because from experience is what it did to the CBD industry, which was really, 
you know, the CBD industry was just starting to make its shift out of, you know, first it got started in like tobacco shops and vape shops and places like that. And as the efficacy was actually kind of accepted culturally and people started to talk more and more about it, um, you know, it, it, it gained a lot of market share online and there were these e-commerce companies and then it started showing up in traditional retail, you know, in Publix and CVS and we were in uh, Winn-Dixie and Bed Bath & Beyond and Kroger. So when the pandemic set on and I mean, consumer, the consumer mindset shift completely, you know, to hand sanitizers and uh, toilet paper uh, away from these kind of trendy, uh, while functional, new and niche items. And CBD is not cheap. I mean, quality CBD is expensive. You know, it's anywhere from 50 to $200 for a month's supply. So uh, there were a number of factors, you know, retail really shutting down and, and reorienting, reorienting themselves on um, the staple goods, you know. Uh, so all the independent retail where CBD was just kind of just getting its, its roots out of, gone, right, shut down. Um, then the consumer mindset changing uh, in traditional retail in, you know, the big guys, the big box. Uh, so then actually sales grew online in CBD. Uh, and I would venture to say in all non-marijuana parts of cannabis, like textiles and, and things like that, protein, um, they grew online. So anyone that was positioned for, for e-commerce started to win. Uh, mm -hmm. But everyone had, who had really invested in retail started to lose uh, and you know lose pretty bad. So if you were one of those guys who had a great online setup right before the coronavirus, no matter what you did, whether it was hemp clothing or protein powder or you know CBD, you, you probably you know fared pretty well. But if you had positioned yourself for retail, you know you were, you were in a bad spot. Have, have you seen any of that effect in your new position? You know, I haven't. We, we focus, uh, we have a large customer base that does actual marijuana because we do child-resistant packaging. Uh, so our business has grown throughout the pandemic as, you know, marijuana consumption has grown throughout the pandemic, which is another function of the pandemic, which has been the, the absolute, you know, continued growth, exponential growth of marijuana consumption from actual dispensaries, you know, from, from recreational and medical dispensaries. Uh, there's been a lot of increased consumption. When do you think this thing gets, you know, legalized? Federally, yep. I, you know, it might be another ten years. Yeah, okay. it really might, um, and it, it might be towards the end of the Biden administration. We'll see. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, interesting. So, you know, what about you know the things? If you wanted to learn more about the cannabis plant uh, and its positives and your mission, you know, besides the TED talk, which is a great first step. What does Derek recommend you do to, to see, you know, what the benefits are? How can cannabis help me, whether it's hemp, CBD, you know, any of those potential things? There's a lot of really talented storytellers in the space. Uh, who, and there's a lot of people doing really, really impactful work. There's a lot of organizations, the Hemp Industries Association, uh, HIA, the National Hemp Association, the NHA, um, the Marijuana Policy Project, uh, they all are, are doing really, really important work. And, and not only that, but highlighting, you know, there's so many like subsets of uh, negative impacts from prohibition. You know, like when you look at the minority communities and, and all 
of the just amplified negative impact that they've had versus, you know, kind of the more stereotypical white community. Uh, the drug war and the, the war on cannabis has been very detrimental to that, that community. Um, it's also been really detrimental to uh, a number of industries. Like when you look at, at uh, the prohibition of cannabis and how it got started, it was all about um, the paper mills, the paper mills and William Randolph Hearst and his paper empire and the textile cotton industry uh, and all of those, uh, all of those jobs that we could have created through the fruition of hemp to support those industries instead of, you know, these titans coming together and deciding that they don't want to compete with hemp. They're going to, they're going to have it, you know, suffer prohibition for a century. Um, this was some of the earliest forms of lobbying politically. Yeah, exactly. Against, uh, against a, a crop, so yeah. to speak. Uh, the paper industry, what you're describing is basically not wanting hemp to become the competitive, uh, you know, source. And it had nothing to do with marijuana. It wasn't because people were getting high and that it was a drug. It was because it was a very competitive industrial crop uh, to, like we said, paper to cotton to the synthetic fibers that were coming out from, from Europe at the time, you know, polyester and things like that. It was a competitor to all of them. And they all got together and they lobbied to have cannabis made illegal, not because of marijuana, but because of what else the plant could do. Incredible. Can you tell me in your review and uh, experience with, with hemp or, or the crop in general, what is its most surprising positive benefit? So I would actually answer that by giving you three, and I'm going to give you one. It wasn't part of the game, but well, okay, fine. You'll do three. Yeah, sometimes we make our own rules, right? <laughs> okay. So the three I'm going to give you, one is going to be health-related for like us as individuals. The second one is going to be how it benefits like the society and the earth and you know, sustainability-wise. And the third will be the, the potential economic impact that the, the plant could have. So the first is you know, the different cannabinoids like CBD and THC and the, the health impacts that they could have. The, the, one of the most mind-blowing to me is still one of the earliest forms that we discovered that it can benefit health. And there's a childhood seizure disorder called Dravet syndrome. And, you know, it's one of a number. There's a few different types of seizure disorders. Uh, but in this particular one, it, it's really brutal. And the children suffer anywhere from 300 to 400 seizures a month. Uh, 10, 15, 20, 50 seizures a day. Sometimes grand mal seizures where they last, you know, three or four minutes and, you know, their eyes are rolling back in their head and they have no control over their body. And it, it, it doesn't just like, you know, offset the course of their life. It's incredibly detrimental to their development and their life. Uh, and CBD can almost completely eliminate those seizures from the children that suffer from Dravet syndrome. This is scientifically backed, what you're saying? This is the, you can get this as a prescription drug in the United States for childhood seizure disorders. Wow. Um, it, so if that alone doesn't speak to the possibilities of what, in, in its raw form, it really doesn't need to be, it gets extracted via an alcohol extraction just like any essential oil would almost, and you don't have to do anything else to it. I mean, it, it is truly plant medicine, that, and it truly works. Uh, so... And we're just learning. We've just scratched the surface about what else this plant can do for us, you know, for us internally. Uh, so, you know, kind of a big to be determined there uh, and definitely something worth looking into and exploring. The second thing 
environmentally, uh, it's incredibly beneficial. You know, we talked about all the different ways. One of the most fascinating things that I learned about it was that it was actually used in Fukushima and in Chernobyl to clean up the soil from around the disaster sites because it can pick up radioactive isotopes and heavy metals and toxins from the soil. Uh, so you, so when you know we say it can do all these things and it heals the earth, it really heals the earth. Wow. It, it, I mean, it's fascinating, right? Yeah. Uh, the third thing is economically, uh, there were some researchers in the University of Alberta in Canada, and I, I did touch on this one in the TED Talk, uh, and I also talked about uh, Charlotte, Charlotte Figge. Uh, she was the girl who was actually one of the first uh, uh, people whose life was improved, uh, a Dravet syndrome sufferer whose life was improved from CBD, and Sanjay Gupta from CNN did a documentary on her called Weeds, and thus the CBD craze was wow. created. Um, so the, the, the third thing to go back to that was uh, something called graphene, which is a technology that's used in um, uh, chips and it's used to process information. Uh, and hemp was recently discovered when you fold hemp cells in a certain way that they can actually replace uh, graphene in semiconductors. And it's incredibly cheap and efficient to use. Uh, and they actually improved the quality of the semiconductors they were using them in. So there's a technology play beyond the textiles and the rope and all that kind of stuff from antiquity. Uh, we can use this stuff in, you know, future tech too. So that's, wow. it, it's endlessly mind blowing, the Incredible. stuff that this, this plant can do. Does Derek have a particular take on uh, psychedelics? Because I know, and obviously it, it, it was just a thought considering we're in the, that type of space because right now there's a lot of talk about research on psychedelics and how it how it could be uh, health beneficial uh, health benefits and of it and all that so what is what is your take on that I, I think just as impactful as cannabis can be psychedelics could be just as impactful maybe not uh, comprehensively when you talk about sustainability and things like that but even still like you take mushrooms alone for example um, they can their food um, they can heal, you know, they have healing properties, uh, but they can also be very sustainable. Like I've, I've seen mushroom, uh, replacing leather as a more sustainable version of leather than using, rather than using animals. Um, there's even stoned ape theory. I don't know if you've ever heard of stoned ape theory. No, what's that? Uh, that's the theory that, you know, humans really gained their consciousness, uh, because as apes, you know, kind of evolving out of the trees in Africa, as we were chasing our prey across the savannas of Africa, we came across uh, dung with mushrooms growing out of it. And we actually ate mushrooms and had psychedelic experiences as very primitive, primitive hunter-gatherers, like the, the first hunter-gatherer. And that might be what sparked our consciousness. Wow. Yeah. So who knows if that's true or not. But, you know, I do think when you look at things like PTSD and depression and all the things that, whether you know, mushrooms and, and ketamine and LSD, there's a number of different companies out there working to see, you know, if, if that's viable. And there's already a number of, of healthcare professionals that think it is. So there's, there's a mini industry spawning there that it almost looks like the cannabis industry did 15 years ago. I think it's incredibly promising, really cool. Uh, and I, I think it's our, our human right to have access to these kind of things. You know, we, we should decide if we're responsible enough to, to manage them and take them and um, they can be really profound. Wow. Sounds like you really love what you do. Uh, yes. Which is blessed. 
I know, um, so we talked about you changing positions to this, uh, to AE Global Chief Growth Officer. It's been, what, three months now? It has, yeah. Yeah, everything's going well. This is going to be a successful change of career. I'm so grateful for the opportunity and so happy that I I made the decision. Uh, The guys that I work with are uh, awesome. You know, it's, it's great to work with a bunch of guys your age who are really excited about what they do and just constantly want to find ways to do it better. Uh, there, it, it, it's a really, really exciting time for me personally. So one, one thing I remember talking to you about that was fascinating that I'd love for you to share with the people listening is that you went from a job where you basically, you know, you were the face of the, of your company, uh, yeah. um, the media, mm-hmm. you were very involved in the media, you were getting out your message yeah. and you know, I remember you saying that when you moved, I think it was within the first month, you said, dude, I don't know shit. Mm-hmm. I don't know shit. Yeah. And I got to learn from other people. And I'm, I'm yeah. literally a C-level um, yeah. employee, well, a C-level C-suite executive, you yeah. know, chief growth officer. You're on the one of the top levels of the food chain, but you're having to learn from people that have been there for a while, but yeah. are your... Uh, they are your uh, employees. Like yeah. you're, you're basically telling them what to do day to day, right? Yeah, there was a, a huge step back that I needed to take, and a huge learning curve that I needed to kind of start climbing again, uh, which was part of the excitement. You know, it, it's part of why I dove in head first. And yeah, it, at first it was really challenging too. You know, I'd been at Veritas for three years. I was incredibly familiar with uh, hemp and all of the things that hemp could do. But I had actually never worked in marijuana before for, you know, despite having 10 years in the, you know, the broader cannabis space, I had never worked with the marijuana plant or in a, you know, a vertical of, of marijuana. So to, to come over into, onto the marijuana side, but also in packaging, I had very little packaging experience, you know, besides, you know, kind of doing some brand management and creative stuff. I didn't know anything about packaging, especially child resistant packaging. So coming on as a you know C-suite level and having a team um, that you're expected to lead and guide, uh, but not knowing anything about the business, yeah, there was definitely a learning curve. It was a humbling experience, you know, to to become a student again. Uh, you know, I was a full-time student. I am a full-time student right now, uh, and you know, to the, to the extreme. And you know, I always try and be a student, uh, but right now is just about learning a whole new industry and a whole new side of the business. So someone who's looking to change positions like you did, I mean, you took that into consideration. Look, I'm going to have to learn a whole new industry, mm-hmm. but but that actually sparked your curiosity and got you more engaged, would you say? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that you need to empty out the glass of water every once in a while, so to speak, and kind of rebuild the box uh, that you stand in. And this was a great opportunity to do that, to add to my skill sets, to broaden my skill sets uh, in a way that um, benefited and, and supported all the work that I had been doing. You know, it's not like I was lighting the house on fire and, and starting from scratch. I was basically, you know, uh, learning how to tell the, the story uh, on a different medium. Yeah, fascinating. Um, what's, what's Derek's favorite books that he likes to gift people? You know, I actually, I just gave my sales team Never Eat Alone for the part about cold calling. So that was the last book I gifted, if I could 
use that as a yep. partial Keith answer. Ferrazzi. Keith Ferrazzi. Keith Ferrazzi. Got to give him a shout out. Yeah. Who you met. You met on a Zoom. Yeah. yeah. In one of the book clubs. I know you're in my book club uh, with um, our couple of our fraternity brothers and um, the other book club I'm in. We, we actually got Never Eat Alone and Keith Ferrazzi to join in, which was which was great. So cold calling, but you would recommend, obviously, Never Eat Alone. I would. Uh, I would recommend it to any book club. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, uh, I also, I really like uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, which is his stoic, uh, you know, philosophical journalings. Mm-hmm. Um, there, yeah, there's, uh, I also, you know, I really like Deliverance, uh, which is, you know, which was turned into the Burt Reynolds movie. Uh, but I really like the book Deliverance. Uh, I majored in English Lit, so I kind of go all over the place at nonfiction, fiction, you know, self-improvement. What are you reading now? Uh, I'm just about to start a book called Conscious Capitalism, which we're for reading our book club. for our book club. Right. Yep. That's the story of uh, John Mackey, CEO of Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also just started it. Excellent so far. Uh, what about uh, TV shows, documentaries, anything that is interesting to Derek at this point that you could recommend? Uh yeah, I try not to watch as much TV as I used to, but I did watch a really good movie last night, actually, which was uh, the Red Sea Diving Resort. Have you ever seen it? No. Dude, it's really good. It's about um, some Israeli uh, special services or secret services kind of characters. Uh, they form a hotel in Sudan under the guise of being a diving resort, and really they're smuggling out Ethiopian Jewish refugees to Israel. And they ended up smuggling out like 3,500 Jewish Ethiopian refugees. Based on a true story? It's all true, yeah. It's based on a true story. They smuggle them to Israel. uh, And it's it's such a phenomenal story. It's really good. That's amazing. Are there any um, that that you remember uh, cannabis documentaries or things that people could watch about it? I would watch. I would start with the documentary, documentary on Jack Herrer. Uh, Jack Herrer. Uh, he's a really, really famous cannabis activist. His life is really fascinating. Uh, he wrote a book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes, but it's all about hemp and all about the secrets behind why it was made illegal. And it, it's really what exposed, I would say it was the first mainstream exposure of the truth behind cannabis uh, to the public. And he did a really, really good job of telling the story. And that's a great place to start on your cannabis journey. Wow. Um, okay, so as you know, the show is called Ways to Win, right? We're determining uh, successful things that you do day to day. Right. Anything we haven't covered that Derek does day to day to, you know, to drive his success. The mo- one of the most important things for me is actually putting myself first in the morning. So having a dedicated morning practice that's for me uh, before... I go out into the world and start, you know, having to show up for other people. Uh, and that's, that's made a huge difference for me. Uh, I think also intentionally dedicating time to like self-actualization and reflection is critical if you want to improve. And I think you, you really have to carve out time to do that and then do it with intention uh, and then seek out ways to improve based on what you kind of realize about yourself. Is that with uh, with books or coaches, guidance, yeah. courses? All, how did, all how the did above. you do it? I've actually done and do all the above. I've been to courses. Uh, I have a coach. Um, 
even my book club, you know, the book club that we're in, there, there's a lot of vulnerability that can take place there and, and growth, you know. Um, so all of those, uh, I think, are very important. Um, even my coaching, I've, I've had a coach for almost three years now, uh, and it's uh, really groundbreaking, you know, the kind of things you can learn about yourself through the eyes of other people. How often do you meet? Once a week. Yeah, we meet once a week for an hour. And we've met once a week for the past three years. I'm sure it also has a lot to do with some accountability yes, as well. Yes, definitely. Accountability yeah. to yourself, first and foremost. Yeah. Perfect. So uh, you mentioned courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, any the courses that you're you're can you name them or is there I was a any? part of a, a community actually called TLC which stood for the living course um, and they had a number of different courses within that kind of broader community uh, and I've done three of them um, and that's also you know I, I volunteer at uh, the youth shelter and I do the interview and business coaching program there and it was through my work with TLC and that community that I got introduced to the people at Lippman Youth Shelter and started that program. So, um, yeah, so the, the, you know, the courses, the, the group, uh, my coach, but also, you know, meditation. And uh, sometimes I even, I ordered those trash pinchers off of Amazon. What's that? It's a, just like a pincher that picks up trash. So oh, you can put okay. it in a bag. Sure. Uh, and I walk around my neighborhood and pick up trash. You know, <laughs> I do it once or twice a month. Wow. Uh, and now a couple of people have like seen me doing it and sometimes they do it and you know, we kind of wave at each other sometimes and wow. it's, yeah. And it's, you know, that's been pretty cool. So I just like doing things like that. You know, things where I think I'm making a little difference. I think constantly striving for the biggest difference you can make. Uh, you'll burn yourself out and you won't, get there and you won't really see the results. So I think doing a bunch of little things can have a net greater impact than feeling like, you know, you need to build a rocket and go to Mars and compete with someone like Elon Musk or something. And it would be easier to, to actually start. Right. Remember, like right. start yes. doing something. Yeah. So you take the smaller things. Um, we just read Atomic Habits in yeah. our book club uh, by James Clear. Uh, and the entire first half of the book seemed like just doing making a one yeah. percent difference, one yeah. percent every day. Floss one so, tooth. Yeah, <laughs> picking up, picking up the uh, the trash pincher and going out for five minutes, yeah. and then you know someone sees you doing that. You you can't imagine the effect you have on someone else when they see you doing it. Well, and that's what I'm saying is there. There's literally a group of I don't know eight or ten people who either they all pick up trash occasionally or they love and applaud you when you're doing it. Amazing. Like I've literally had people walk up to me and say, dude, thank you so much for doing that. Like I walk my dog and he's always chewing on little plastic things and yada, yada, yada. And so it, it really does, uh, you know, it has a net good impact. So the advice is st- start small. Start basically. small. Yeah, start small. For Interesting. Sure. Um, that's great. Uh, really insightful. Um, so we know that you have... You know, you grew up as an Eagle Scout. We know that you truly love the environment. Is that correct? I mean, I know, I know, just based on yeah, ab- absolutely knowing yeah. you that uh, that love is a, a love of yeah. yours and camping and your your For place sure. out in the woods and stuff. Are there other things you do in your personal life in regards to? sustainability or environmental yeah, yeah, you know, sure. love of the environment and the earth what do you do yeah well and again it goes back to those little things right uh trying to 
constantly improve just a little bit. So we do a number of different things at the house. We use reusable grocery bags. You know, we buy bulk, whatever we can, and we have little bulk grocery bags where we can put like nuts and rice and, you know, even the produce that we buy. And we try not to buy bag stuff. We, we buy fresh, you know, try and buy local stuff and we put it in reusable bags. Um, we got the, uh, the countertop reverse osmosis water system and we bought a bunch of glass bottles so that we, you know, we don't do plastic water bottles anymore or anything like that. Uh, so we do a number of little things at the house. Do you have a garden? Uh, no, you know, I don't have much of a yard. However, we are sprouting some grapefruit and orange trees, some wild Florida grapefruit and orange trees uh, for out at the property right now. So we're doing that at the house. Um, and, you know, we do a lot of other little things, too. Like, we're always really mindful of turning the water off, turning the lights off. We actually play a game about seeing how low we can keep the utilities just to keep our consumption down. Um, you know, so all, all we recycle, we're, we're, we're ardent recyclers. Uh, I think I told you, and this isn't a step that I would expect a lot of people to be willing to do, but I bought a V4 car. You know, my, my <laughs> engine in my car is V4, four-cylinder. Uh, and it doesn't use a lot of gas. And I, I did that because I don't really care about having a really fast car. And I knew it would consume a lot less gas, you know, and I, I didn't buy an electric vehicle, but you will uh, soon. I will soon for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, there's a lot of different things that we do. Awesome. Uh, anything else that Derek would care to add, uh, that he deems important to, uh, anything we talked about today? I think this podcast is important. And Tell me I th- more. I think that I think you're doing something really cool. You know, I think that you're doing something really cool, and that you're focusing on like local entrepreneurs, uh, because again, it's starting small, right, and looking to those around you. And I think it's really cool that your listeners would even have the opportunity to connect with locally people who are on the podcast. I, th- I think that's really powerful. That this is, you know, when when they go out into their na- their neighborhood, they can listen to people on this podcast and see their work out in the community where they live. Well, that was the goal because, I mean, all the people, all the normal podcasters you hear, they're interviewing, you know, nationally or internationally renowned mm-hmm. CEOs, businessmen, and uh, celebrities, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if someone wants to talk to Derek about any of these potential subjects or the TED Talk or your new position with AE Global and, or wants to get involved, how do they reach out to you? The best way is probably on LinkedIn which is Derek Thomas, uh, D-E-R-E-K Thomas. Uh, but you can find me on you know most social media. You can shoot me an email, Derek Clayton Thomas at iCloud.com. Perfect. Uh, also, don't forget to check out his TED Talk. You can look it up literally through Google. Yep. Derek Thomas you, you TED too. Talk. Derek Thomas TED Talk, yeah. Um, that's where I would first start. And then uh, give Derek a shout. Very easily to get uh, in touch with. And thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me.